It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Out in the cold, out in the dark, something's lurking at the edge of the park. People be warned, people beware, there's a storm on the rise and it's covered in hair. Hear him cry, hear him howl, looking for someone to disembowel. Claws like a hook, eyes like coal, feet so big they're gonna crush your soul. They call him Sasquatch. Can you believe it's December already? Happy Solstice and Merry Christmas to all of you out there. This is Yowie Central. Welcome to the show. I'm Sarah. What a year, eh? It's been a rough ride for me and for many of you out there, and I reckon we need to give ourselves a pat on the back for making it through in one piece. What do you reckon? Before I get into today's show, if you've seen a Yowie or any other strange entity and you've been busting to tell someone but you're afraid that no one will believe you or that people might make fun of you, you've come to the right place. Here at Yowie Central, we won't laugh at you, we will believe you and we will not make fun of you. If you've had a sighting or an intense encounter with a Yowie or or some other weird cryptid creature or some other strange entity from beyond the veil, or you've got spirits or aliens visiting or taking you places or anything else, kooky or spooky, get in touch with me at yowiecentral at gmail.com. Now, I have a fabulous show lined up for you this week. My guest is absolutely fascinating. Have you ever wondered what a shamanic healer does? This week, we're going to deep dive into the world of a shaman. Now, if you don't know what a shaman does or what a shamanic healer does, stay tuned because you'll find out. 
My guest, Daryl Guy, reached out to me earlier on in the year to share his Yowie sighting, and he's going to share that with you on today's show. Daryl also happens to be a shaman, a shamanic healer, and an exorcist, which I find absolutely fascinating. It's a bit weird, but I find it really fascinating. So Daryl's Australian, and he's been based in Sweden for the last 15 years. And just to give you a brief idea, a shamanic healer focuses on healing your spirit rather than your physical body. They do soul retrieval and past trauma healing and, and they clear homes and, and other spaces of negative energies and entities. They can banish demons and poltergeists and negative attachments as well. So you can imagine that Daryl is such an interesting person to talk to. And since our initial chat, we've had lots of long two, three-hour Skype sessions and lots of messenger messages going backwards and forwards about the spirit world and about his incredible experiences. And I guess over the, I don't know, maybe it's been about six months or so, maybe slightly longer, he's really become a, a dear friend of mine. Daryl quickly realised in that first session that I had with him many months ago now that I had an attachment that, that I needed help removing and it was making me really miserable. So I have to say that the difference in how I felt then to how I felt afterwards and ongoing, like for months afterwards, is absolutely remarkable and just blew my mind. I realised after working with him throughout various healing sessions that, and watching him work that Daryl is a really powerful man. He's a powerful shaman and he's legit and freaky in a really cool way. A couple of months ago, Daryl said that he really wanted to share some of his wisdom and knowledge with the Yowie Central listeners and basically in order to reassure people that we'll all be okay despite the craziness of the current state of the planet and that we can protect ourselves, we can nourish ourselves and cleanse our spirits and we can access the spirit world if we wish to. You've probably heard me talk throughout the year about the fact that the veil between the spirit world and the 3D world appears to be thinning and more and more people than ever are seeing yaoi's, they're seeing strange cryptid creatures like Dogman that used to be virtually unheard of in Australia. People are seeing Goatman, they're seeing strange entities with cat-like heads, they're seeing strange beings that look like trees and all sorts of ghosts and spirits and, and just a whole bunch of weird stuff from behind that veil. Daryl is going to explain why he thinks that is. And also, if you've ever wanted to know what an attachment is, Daryl is going to explain what that is and also what's happening to us and the planet in this 3D to 5D shift and how we can prepare ourselves for it. So without further ado, here is Daryl the Shaman. <laughs> So this was 2004, 2005, 
and it would have been around winter, so it would have been like July, August, and a friend and I were out. Uh, we like to go out west of Bathurst uh, for um, to get away from, from things. Uh, anyway, this area, which is from memory, where Ofer Road and Williams Road, or Williamson Road, uh, intersect. It's on a high point, uh, which was a good place to go to look at the sky because there was very little light pollution and it was a high point. So, you know, we would go there quite often, walk around at night, la, la, la. Uh, and this one night we noticed, which we'd noticed before, was a light down in a paddock. And we'd always thought it was a hunter's light, though we'd never, ever heard any guns. Um, and it just looked like somebody was was spotlighting down in, in the in the paddock. Uh, and, yeah, anyway, so this one night, lo and behold, we're there watching it, uh, and then this bipedal, huge bipedal figure walked from left to right, no, from right, left to right, and what would be like across the arc of the light, so it became illuminated. And and I still think back on it, and it, and it boggles my mind, because I knew it was bipedal, could see it walking. It was all one colour. It was like that orangutan orange colour, like a light tan or a bright tan. Uh, and I, my first thought was maybe it's an SES worker with the, those orange overalls. And then I realised that, well, first of all, it's too big to be a person. The body shape was very different. Uh, the body was longer than the legs and had a bit of a tilt sort of forward and when it walked that the arms and the hands came down around its knees so talking to my friend I thought it was maybe you know five six hundred meters away he said it was a kilometer away and this thing was huge like and the amount of ground that it would have covered as well from that distance was was fairly big and it was only a quick sighting like it took maybe four four steps four huge big steps, uh, and then it was back into the dark. But it was undeniably bipedal and and just huge. So if it's a kilometre away, it must have been pretty big for you to be able to notice it. Yeah, yeah quite large. I've, I've tried to use the um, – down in Copenhagen, there's the Guinness Book of Records Museum, and they have the tallest man out the front like a statue of the tallest man. So I've actually tried to use that as a height, looking at it trying from a distance. Uh, and this thing was easily about the same same height. Mm -hmm. you know, so that's like, it's over two, definitely over two metres, like definitely over two metres, but it was, it was big. <laughs> it was, we couldn't see any detail, like, like type of hair or, or a face or anything like that. But as it walked, the hands going around its knees. That's sort of really what spun me up because the legs didn't look that long compared to the body, but the arms were like super long, if that makes any kind of weird sense. Yeah, and, and were, they, were they swinging with the walking yep. motion like a human being's arms might swing? Yep, and it, and it kind of looked funny because it was sort of like a loping walk but the body was smooth. It wasn't sort of like the head bobbed up and down, mm -hmm. but it, but the feet were, it looked like a very big stride, 
which is what I'd, why I say elope, because it was just really like long in that respect. But uh, yeah, it, it, very strange, but beautiful in the same time. What was beautiful about it? The fact that my mind was struggling to know what it was, you know, and, and to see something so, so visible also, because you've got to, you know, like this was in the dark, so we don't know what it walked, where it walked off to or where it walked from. But just to see this thing out of being illuminated by this light, and I'm not saying it walked out of the light at all because it, it didn't seem like that. It seemed like it had come from behind the light and then walked across in front of it. So, and how, how long ago was this? This was like, yeah, 2004, 2005. Okay, and it's night time and you're... Yep approximately a kilometre away um, yep. and and you and you and what catches your eye is this light out. It's in the middle of a paddock though, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's in the middle of a paddock and we've seen it before. Like we're walking along a ridge line and it's sort of down, down below, but we'd seen that light a few times before and it's just whenever it came our way, looked our way, we'd just sort of get down on the ground because we didn't want to be recognised or shot at, you know, in case it was a hunter or, you know, someone with spotlight. Um, But, yeah, so we saw that light and we're looking at it. The next thing, this thing walked out in front of it. And what did you think it was initially? Because it was bipedal, I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was an SES worker in orange overalls. Mm -hmm. But he would have had to have, like, orange boots, orange hands (laughs) and an orange hood. Right. (laughs) And on... You know, and it was too big. It was way too big to be a person. Uh, and people don't walk like that either. People don't stoop when they walk, which is yeah, kind of weird like that. And they don't have that. Human beings generally have a have a bobbing motion, don't they? And they're, they're not. Their body isn't smooth, like it's gliding. Yeah, um, but also people are sort of. I seem as like a 50-50, you're 50% legs, 50% torso, whereas this would have been, you know, like 60-40, where the legs were definitely smaller than the actual trunk of the torso, but still but still huge at the same time. Like it would have been, you know, 9 to 10 feet easy if being up close to it. Did it look muscular and, and bulky or, or lean? Uh, it looked thick, the, like the torso looked really thick. Um, but again, we're at such a distance. Definitely, there wasn't like a neck or a, a head. It was just one solid, one solid trunk, and these legs and long arms, like really long arms. And I think that's the thing that sticks most in my mind is the way that the when the when the arms swung, the hands were around the knee. And I thought, you know, that was, again, that was weird because it didn't look like it was a normal, you know, it looked like the knees would be lower because the legs seemed kind of small, smaller than the trunk. So with that, that light that you saw, was that, that was, mo- that was moving around because you thought it was a hunter. So it, it, was it, it wasn't stationary, yep. was it? Uh, no, it wasn't stationary. It, it never made a noise. So it didn't sound like a car or anything like that. There was no Jenny sound that was associated. It would just sort of like move around slowly and even to the point that when it looked at us, we could tell 
it was like there was a lens or something. You could tell when it was actually pointed, you know, at our direction. So we, And we'd just get down on the ground at that point and just wait. But, uh, yeah, that light, it's been a while since I've been back there, but we saw that light a few times. In the same location? And it was always in the same place, right. always in the same location. Right. And that was so. That was you just said west of west of Bathurst, near the near Ofa and Williamson Road. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like Ofa Road and Williamson Road. Mm. It's the top of a high point there. So the 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 person you with you were with that's just a, a mate of yours at the time. Yep. Yeah. So what did you, did you did you talk to each other about what the hell did we just see? Yeah, straight away I asked him. You know, like, did you see that? He's gone, yeah, I saw it. I'm like, so what do you think it is? Uh, he's like, it was, wasn't was a person. You know, and and we've, like, we've spent a lot of time out there and seen a lot of weird things also. So that was almost like just another one of those weird things to see. But as, you know, we've spoken since about it and since we'd had our, our first conversation, I got in touch with him and started asking. Because he knows the area a lot better than I do, which is why he said, yeah, it was easy. It was a kilometre away. Um, but then he said at that point, he's like, you know, I'm glad it didn't come into, it never came into the campsite because we go camping further out. But, you know, we just kept walking, walking up that road, Williamson Road. So it wasn't like we were, were too concerned that it was going to come and get us or it was just like it walked that way and we'll walk in the other way. Don't, you know, don't be too stressed. <laughs> But what other weird stuff used to happen out there? A uh, lot of lot, lot of weird things. And this was before you started your training, right? Your training as a as a shamanic uh, healer. It was my first my first teacher, I guess, around that time. Um, so that was like a twelve year apprenticeship. So I was doing the work back then and doing the learning, but yeah, not doing the doing so much what I do now. But uh, other thing, uh, other weird things out there is one particular place, like we'd go away for three days and then the three days, like it was just good to be out there. But this one time, the three of us that were going away were all quite terrified about, about going away, but we never said anything to each other. Uh, we got out there and I just looked for everything that weekend, you know, careful of snakes and everything else that could go wrong. But everything was perfect. It was just such a nice weekend. Uh, and then it came to leaving on Sunday night. So where we usually go to, we went somewhere else. Uh, and I remember when we drove in, it was gnarly. The The trees looked, you know, mean kind of thing. And it was, it, it was just very, very strange area. Had, you know, high, high strangeness, I guess you could say, at that point. So we were just sitting in the car and sun hadn't gone down. But it was getting to dusk, and then I heard boom, 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 and it was what I could feel was coming up through the ground. So nice. I asked my mates, you know, did you hear that? They didn't hear it at all. So I heard it again, told them about it. They didn't hear it again. And then the third time, and by the third time it was dark. But then, you know, then the optics started to happen, which is what I – Logically, I saw two cars driving up a mountain because of the, and I could see the headlights. And then the logic kicked in. It was like, well, well, there's no tail lights on the car, but then again, there's no mountain. 
in front either. It's just <laughs> right. we're, on a, we're on a plateau. Right. So, you know, that's when I started to realise there were like golden snakes, for the want of a, a better expression, all around on the ground. And then the guy in the back was saying that the lovers in the trees were calling him outside as well. So, you know, we had to tell him to stay in the car. Uh, and then my other friend said, you know, don't worry about the snakes, look at the eyes. And that's when I looked up into the tree and saw these like sets of eyes going left to right, left to right and up and down. Uh, and it was in, in amongst all of those eyes that there were these two huge, like huge eyes. And it's really the first, the only time I felt like I was being sized up in the Australian bush. So the car wouldn't start and then <laughs> no. turned the lights on and it all disappeared. Like it was just a tree in front of us and then turn the lights back off and it's still happening. But, and, and these, these eyes were quite big. My friend that was driving, I've talked to him since he said that they were red and came down to the bonnet of the car. Yeah. You know, we're sort of like at the front of the car, but I never saw that at all. I saw like a, like an aqua blue color and, and they were just big, you know, like, but they were, it looked like something was big enough to eat us, like easy. So we got out of there pretty quick. Apparently it chased us to, um, to one of the gates that we went through. Uh, and the guy, you know, friend in the back seat said that he wants to follow us. And then we just drove a hundred miles an hour back to a sort of safe spot. Then went through what the fuck was that questions. <laughs> um, then decided we'd go back a year later to the same spot and reenact it. You know, which is something that I found in in my learning is that you always go back to the same place, the same time, different cycle. You know, you you like reenacting something. Yeah, so we went back, and then the driver he heard the bang, bang, bang on the ground. Uh, he turned around and said to a stop, stop stomping on the ground. And I'm like, okay, well you've heard it this time because I didn't hear it. Oh. Uh, and then he turned around and looked at us again, and I knew he was hearing it as he was looking at us and he was making sure that we weren't doing it. And, and he's like, okay, well, there it is again. And at that point I'm like, we've got five minutes, boys, you know, before this thing's going to come out again. So what are we going to do? We ended up, we left that area, went across the river and, and was watching it back that area back from the other side. So um, we didn't see anything sort of too hectic manifest at that point, though for, for a couple of hours, we were all aware of one light that wasn't coming up off the horizon like all the stars. And and I'd had it actually pegged up against a post just as a as a standard to watch you know, watching things move. And and how long stars move from this post is like the time time guide kind of thing. Uh, and then we all started talking to each other about it and the fact that we've all been watching it and it's not moving. Uh, and that's when it actually started to glow in intensity, change, changed intensity. And then it just took off from, yeah, from right to left looking at it. It streaked across horizontal to the ground and then went straight in. And like it went across and then down, but it went so quick it left like a light streak. And then five minutes later, it just reappears back in the same spot. How strange. So, and yeah, and we watched that for another, maybe another couple of hours. Uh, and then when the moon came up, we decided to go over there and have a look for ourselves. 
which was a little bit nerve wracking, but, you know, <laughs> but nothing, nothing happened at that point under the moon. But, you know, this is that general area. So when you guys were sitting there and there's, there's all these sets of eyes and one set of really big eyes, you turn the headlights on and the, all there is is a tree. There's nothing there. Is that right? There's nothing there. Wow. Like, the, yeah, the, the light activity just stopped. You know, and at this point, there's still what I consider these golden snakes on the ground. What? To me, that was one of the – that was really beautiful to watch. What, so it was just like a – looked actually like a, a snake or are you using that as a metaphor? It, it was, looked, looked like it a snake. It looked like about 20. Right. How bizarre. It, yeah, and, you know, it, it actually looked quite – quite stunning but these eyes you know and it wasn't just one set i could see pairs of eyes bouncing around as well so they were so, they were moving you know, around they were moving position like yep. like they yep, were yep, yep. like they were eyes that were in some being's head and the being was moving around is that is that what you mean yeah yeah and like when people talk about eye shine if the if it's the eyes are just being luminous on their own, then th- then this thing had eye shine and it was big, you know, like it was it was huge. But when the lights got turned on the car, there was nothing there, you know. So like, but then again, uh, you know, I probably wasn't looking for anything other than the lights. But for me, it was that distance, that space distance, also was was compromised because it didn't look like they were in the tree. They were too close to be in the tree because we were a good, uh, good three, four metres away from the tree. And these things, you know, like my friend said, he he felt that, that they were right in front of the, at the bonnet of the car, which is why, you know, he wanted to leave pretty well straight away. And isn't it interesting that he saw something completely different to – what you saw. So you, you both saw eyes, but you saw a completely different colour. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He saw red, and I did not see red at all. And yeah. now with the, uh, with the hindsight, with the knowledge that you have of the invisible world of the dreaming, what do you, what do you think was going on there now with the, with the knowledge that you have now? Two, one of two things is that, one, it's possibly it could be a death tree where the Kuris had put the people up in the tree before they buried them. I, I know of a, a friend of mine moved to an area that's got one of those on his property uh, and an Aboriginal warrior spirit had come down and told him, just don't go up after dark because that's when the spirits come down from the tree. So, like, to me, there's a logic in that. Uh-huh. Um, but also the other part of knowing what I know now is that yeah there was something coming through, and it and it given us warning like the big thumps from the ground and this thumping came from out of the ground, yeah you know, like I could feel it as much as hear it. But again, the second when we went back the year later, I didn't hear it at all. It was my other mate that heard it. So to me, it's you know you're in a space. And something was coming through. But I'd like to go back just to look at the tree, see if it's marked, and go back and see see what happens around it. But, the, you know, that whole area, it's got a lot of – it's got a reputation. It's basically mm-hmm. a quartz mountain out there. 
The Blue Mountains you're talking about or that particular spot? No, no, the, further west. Further west. Way further west, Bathurst, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, 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 right. Yeah. Quartz. So I've heard quartz is is a yeah. is a magical stone, a magical crystal. Yeah, it's a, and a magnifier of sorts. Mm. But that area's got a lot of weird things also out there. It's just general reports I've heard, like a, a couple of stories from, from here, also in Believe, how, how different things happen, you know, like Hill End, at that area around there. There was a lot of stuff happened, especially in the gold rush. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot, lot went down out there. But also, I guess one thing is when I get back to the, the event, when I first heard this thing going boom, 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 I did see my mind's eye like an Aboriginal painting. And I thought maybe it was like a dreaming creature that was coming out. And if that if that was the case, then it would have been there for a reason. And we weren't the right people to see it because it was definitely, it scared the shit out of us, like that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. Especially if, if, you know, if one person seeing seeing and hearing something and the other people are not. That's 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 quite unnerving. Yeah, one of the unnerving parts was yeah when when my mate in the back seat said that the lovers in the trees were calling him out. Oh, yeah, yes. <laughs> don't oh, go, mate. Not, don't go. Not a, it's not a usual statement. You you know the, you're going to hear from from someone in the back seat. No, the lovers. I wonder what did he explain what he meant by that? No, no. And you know I've lost touch with him as well, so. Yeah. Can't really, can't really get it. We called it flary eyes. Like that's the way that we speak about it now, because there was something, you know, it was something big. And if it, if it was the owie, I could understand maybe at that point if if it's being interdimensional trying to come through. The eyes were huge. That's all I just remember. The massive. Were they blinking? Massive. No. Just. No, no. It okay. was just like staring. And it's you know. Really, like the first time I thought I could be eaten by this thing. It's so big. <laughs> That's not a nice feeling, is it? <laughs> you know, like, but but the other eyes are also intriguing for me. It's like, what was this thing? Were these things, you know, because they weren't all the same size. They were, the, you know, the ones that were moving around were smaller, closer together. Whereas this thing was like, yeah, just king of the mountain. It was just huge. And were they moving around, like darting quickly, or were they slowly swirling around? Or yeah, no, they were they were darting left to right, up right. and down. Yeah, just boom, 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 like across. They all checking. You and there, out. Were, there were lots of them. There were lots. There were lots of eyes in there. But just the two, the two big ones were the stationary ones. They didn't move at all. That, like I said, that's that stuff out there. That's West. And I know dreaming spirit can come through quite strong depending on where you are and because it, it has an interest also. But our time, I, I just think about the timing of that, that particular weekend. I'd like to go back and, and even do it again when I get home. The timing, what, what do you mean, that, that time of year? Yeah, because, you know, each the sun's at a different point each day, uh-huh. you know, like, so, so when we hit the solstice and the equinox, it's not just days of doing something. The energy is going to be quite strong. So example would be here in the, in the Northern hemisphere, the winter 
solstice is far more powerful than the summer solstice. So all the, the standing stones around Europe start to vibrate at a, at a higher frequency on winter solstice. But there's a, a few theories of that. So like literally your ley lines, mm-hmm. the sun's coming up at different points along the horizon between summer and winter solstice. It's going to be lighting up different paths as well right. as it moves along. As the you know, like ley lines, like the meridian system of the planet. So the energy moves around it. So the day that we were there, it's better to go back, like I said, to reenact it. You go back in the same day of this same time of year, you know, at the same time and see what happens. So we did it a year later and we got the thumps out of the ground, but we left at that point. You know, so maybe because we we'd left the immediate area and we we're watching it from across the river, then that light came out. And to look at it, it was no different. That light was no different to the one that we would see in the paddock. You know, whether it be a movement light or, um, I mean, movement light, too much movement up here. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, people call it a movement light or whatever, mm-hmm. but this thing acted on its own intelligence enough that it streaked across the ground and then went down into the ground. Right. But, you know, once we were talking about it, so it was like it had an intelligence of us in our own conversation. And didn't want you know, to be so noticed. When we, yeah, so when we started to talk about it together, then that's when it actually started to interact. Started to, like, glow a little bit and then change intensity and, and start to do more than what it was when we were just looking at it and not talking about it. I wonder if you go back to where you saw the Yowie, and because it was that that was that wasn't exactly the same spot, was it? It was a different spot. No, no, different era. Yeah, yeah so way different era. Yeah, so I wonder if you went back there, you would see that same light that you saw that illuminated the Yowie. Yeah, well, I'd I'd like to the that area that we saw it. It's got a massive um, granite outcrop as well. Like basically along that ridge, there's a lot of granite up there. It's the high point as well, but yeah, I'd like to go back. There's an, another area that we go to, which is before, a long time before that. Uh, there's a pl- place called Mount Pleasant, which is just outside Bathurst. Uh, we'd gone up walking where there's a quarry there now, but there used to be a, a knoll hill up there. We'd found a footprint which with the three-toed footprint. Mm. But again, that, you know, that was a single footprint. We couldn't find a second one anywhere. <laughs> um, but it was super big, one big toe and two other toes. So it wasn't like a human print no. at that point, uh, and, it was, and it was large. And that area as well, we'd, we'd been there, I guess, one afternoon, and what I could – the only way I can describe it is the sound of children playing like two or three young children playing around, heard that noise quite quite strongly. Uh, and I kept thinking, you know, somebody's going to come up with kids, somebody's walking around up there. Um, but there was never, you know, we were alone at that point. But I've heard the same thing in halfway down the Megalong Valley as well. Uh, we used to have a bit of a medicine wheel down there and we'd be down there working in that by the stream. And, yeah, just hear this, like, children in the bush. I'm talking like 
it's thick bush. It's not like you've got any real trails through there either. Um, but there were no, no kids. There might have been something hiding behind the tree, but it was just something so audible and borderline spooky because you didn't, you wouldn't think that there were little kids no. running around in the bush, like two or three having fun kind of thing. But those two noises were exactly the same. They were different places. Yeah, well, people have, people have reported three-toed tracks before, and it isn't uncommon to have one track reported. Um, we think that yeah, they're... Just one. It's like, yeah, yeah they're like it's out of nothing onto the ground and then back into nothing. Yeah. Either that, either they've materialised and dematerialised or they have used other things. They've got a long stride and they've used rocks or grass or something else to stand on to hide yep. their tracks, to disguise yep. their tracks so you can't work out. So they might have had to, had to had no option but to leave one footprint but then have managed to find other stuff to, to walk on. Do you want to talk about being a shamanic healer and what that's all about and why you reached out to me to to share some of your knowledge with the Yowie Central listeners because I know you, you wanted to to share some of that hope and reassurance that even though there's lots of weird shit going on at the moment and the veil is thin and people are seeing all sorts of strange beings that you wanted to reassure people. Yeah, as, as a shamanic healer or a shamanic practitioner, I've had a bit of a different life. Uh, hasn't exactly been normal. And I guess that... You know, when I talk about certain things, some people are going to agree, some people are going to disagree, and some people just aren't going to give a shit. But, you know, that's not my sort of worry or problem. Um, but, yeah, I'd like to give people a, a little bit of hope because at the moment a lot of people are talking about a great change that's going on and, you know, that, that there's this culmination of events that are going to happen and if we don't do this we're going to end up in a bad place. Well, essentially, the great change is upon us. It began 2019. We don't have a real choice whether we want to change at this point. It's just how we change. If we don't choose the change, then that change will be dictated to us. But uh, as, a, as a shaman, I'll try and explain things pretty simply. Shamanically speaking, there's two worlds. You have the visible and the invisible. The visible we can all see and, and taste and touch and feel, but the invisible which is around us, uh, which is as you know I explained in our first chat, this is the same space as the dreaming, as you know as the Aboriginals would say, like it, it's the dream time, it's the dreaming, it's where we go to when we dream, and as a shaman I know that basically we are all just ingredients in a great cosmic soup. And we just don't see the liquid that we're in. <laughs> There's a lot of things live in the invisible world, uh, which a lot of people hope to see. A lot of people go out being psychic investigators and things like that. But when when you start seeing it, it's maybe a bit of a luxury that we can't see it because, you know, some things you just wouldn't want to get out of bed for, basically. At this point in time, the frequencies are being raised. It's... You know, the only way I can put it is like there's a a volume is being turned up. 
So another expression is that veils are thinning or the invisible world is becoming visible. As human beings, we have physical bodies, which is the one everybody knows, but we also have uh, invisible bodies. We have an invisible mechanism, which I can send, I don't know, maybe I've sent to you that picture about the four stages, and that can be available also so people can use it as a reference. But basically, you have the physical body everybody knows. There's your 3D. Then you have uh, a chakra system. So chakra system is what is being called as wheels, or chakra means wheels in the, in the Sanskrit. So that's the seven frequencies within the physical body, going like base to sacral chakra to solar plexus to heart to throat to third eye and crown. So at each level, there is a frequency or, or a resonance. Uh, there's five above the head also, which make up 12. And between each of those levels or between each of those chakras, there's a matrix. So if you can imagine that each chakra level has its own specific energy body connected to the physical body. So if there's seven of those in the physical, there's the matrix between all those. And that's basically what we call the aura. And this is where emotions, thought form, the higher frequencies, that's where that kind of stuff sits in our energy, our energy field. So that would be fourth dimension if you're going to get at it in that way. Then a dimension deeper than that is a thing called Hara line, which you know, is kind of my favorite. It like, excites me a little bit. So it's a line that begins above your head, goes down through your body and anchors into the earth. And it has three sections, above the head to the heart, heart to the center, or, you know, people call it Tandan or Dantian, which is just below the belly button. Uh, and then from, from Tandan down to the core of the earth is its third section. And <clears throat> if the chakras are the wheels, then this Hara line is the axle. So... You know, it doesn't matter how balanced your wheels are. If your axle's bent, it's not energy's not going to flow so easy. <laughs> uh, anyway, on this line, there's if you could imagine Earth's force coming from the ground up to the sky, and then heaven's force coming from the sky down to the ground, where they both meet together is at the geographical center of this line. When people think of the center of the body, they'll either go to the solar plexus or the heart. But the actual geographical center is a hand width below the belly button. And the, the Japanese call it Hara, Chinese call it Dantian or Tanden, depending how, how you want to express it. But it's like a little ball, which is where heaven and earth basically meet. So if you can imagine a little, a little yin and yang spinning around, that's on that line there. But if you go also higher on the line between the chin and the chest, there's another space, which is called this. You know, some people call it the seat of the soul, and it's where your soul comes to meet the world. A, a lot of people they'll experience a very high emotion, a very like a high spiritual kind of love. Uh, this is where the soul's coming out to the body, and it can get a little bit teary-eyed, but it's a very high frequency love. It's not the normal, you know, isn't that person wonderful kind of thing, and I'm going to get married and that kind of stuff. Even on this line, you have a yin and yang. So the yang would be tenden, the ball, and the yin would be this this vortex of, of sorts that comes out. 
So then you have a dimension deeper than that, which is what is being called the core star. So this is an energetic principle that's happening between, say, the solar plexus and the sacral, um, but a very dimension deeper. And, and this is a luminous, you could call it, yeah, like a star or see it as the sun in the dark. And, and this has a vibrancy to it. These four principles together make up the complexity and the entirety of the, of the human body. So as much as we have the physical, we also have the invisible component. If the invisible energy is being raised in frequency, then these invisible components need to be back in good order. And at this point, you know, the only reason I say that we don't know is I put it back down to the burning of the Library of Alexandria. When, when that library was in demise for the, what, 150 years or whatever, we lost a lot of knowledge, like a lot of the ancient knowledge and knowledge that the ancients relied on. That event put the West into a dark age, but it never touched China, never touched Japan, never touched the East, and they still have these energetics teachings in their in the foundation of what they believe in, in you know, in their modalities. So, you know, what I'm saying to people is like, yeah, things are being squeezed on the outside and the invisible world might become a little bit turned up, but you have these energetic principles and just because you don't have awareness of them doesn't mean that they don't work, but also in it's my own belief that this is a time that we start to regain awareness of these energetic principles because essentially we're walking around with one third of what we think is to be the truth, uh, where there's two thirds that actually the invisible impacts the physical, you know, it's like spirit will nourish the body. So we need to get our heads around the fact that we do have an aura, we do have a Hara line and we do have this core star, but that's a lot to say in two sentences. <laughs> I think there are more than two sentences in that. So, so basically what you're saying to people is even though there's big changes happening and people might be seeing more strange cryptid creatures out there, they're seeing beings, they're seeing ghosts, they're seeing orbs, they're seeing UFOs, they're seeing dog man, they're seeing goat man, they're seeing all sorts of strange beings out there. What you're saying is to not be afraid because if you can work on harmonizing all of that, uh, all parts of your body and soul, which includes the Hara line and your chakras, then you have nothing to fear from all of these entities. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, the, the simple mechanism of fear even sort of starts in the brain, takes hold of the heart and immobilizes the physical. So when you look at this Hara work and, and Tenden, the Japanese would use that in the sense of when you're in Tenden, you don't have fear. Mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're grounded in your body, so your mind can't get you in that trap. It can't start the dialogue of what's going to happen. And the emotional pendulum is quite still. Fear doesn't really come into it. When, when you're grounded in the body. Um, but these things, the invisible world, they've been there for a long time. It's just that this point now, our awareness and consciousness is changing. 
So our perceptions are now starting to open up towards that. You have more chance now of walking into the bush and connecting with nature spirit than you did even two years ago. It seems to be a lot more palpable, which is, you know, it comes back to that expression of the veils are thinning. We're starting to lose that, what I would say, that gap of innocence that keeps us relatively innocent to what's there. That is starting to disappear. But again, you know, these things also, there's things in the invisible world that will use us as a hotel and eat us. <laughs> That's um, reassuring. <laughs> yeah, which is a yeah, real, real nice thing to say and everyone now is going to start to panic about what's under their bed. Um, that's when we again, call. That's when we call you, isn't it, to get rid of these some some entity that's eating us. <laughs> yeah, me, me or Bill Murray, you know, one, <laughs> one of those two. Uh, but basically, because of these frequencies are being raised, and we start becoming attuned to our own energetic structure, our awareness will change accordingly to that. It's not just a we're going to perceive things mentally. And, and as I say, if, you, if you're grounded deeply in Hara, you begin to perceive the world from the edge of your aura. So you might walk into a room now and feel that there's a heavy energy there, whereas before it wasn't apparent. Or, you know, you start to have a, a, an impending sense or a clairsentient sense of, you know, you think about someone and then they call straight away. You know, there's, there's that kind of body intelligence. So when we start to become quite grounded, we have more than just more than just our perception. We have this extra aerial or this extra antenna that is that spiritual aspect of us, you know, or the energetic aspect. So being a, a shaman or shamanic healer, my job is to, to be mechanic of this invisible stuff. And I've also come to understand that this is what we're looking for in the West. You know, we put it down to mysticism or... You know, we think we have to go to India to find all this kind of stuff out when essentially you, you climb in the mountain to find out what your own energetics are. Yeah. So, but again, you know, it's easy to talk about, but it needs to be practical. And that's one of the reasons why I really enjoy the shamanic work is that my techniques are techniques that have been around for like tens of thousands of years and they're practical mm. and they work. And they work. I so, can vouch for that. Yeah. You recommended a couple of books to me and I've started, I'm on chapter four now of the Dantian book. Yep. So that's that's a book that you would recommend to the Yowie Central listeners as something that will help them, help them ground themselves and understand more about that, their whole being as opposed to just the 3D body, but the rest of it as well. Yeah, correct. The... We need to know something abstract before we can get into its detail even. So those two books, like that first one, Dan Tien, that's a very simple, easy layman's book that anyone can read. And like it, it explains, like right from the start, <clears throat> we have this energetic centre that give us can give us so much joy in our life. And it explains the very simple aspect, like the way that we can live with this thing. You know, like he describes it as being a compass. We have this inner compass that we know when to go, where to go and, and why to go, which for most people, 
they can't get they can't get their heads around it because there's this mental concept. So yeah, for sure that ten end book, which is by Peter, I can't remember his last name. Oh, I'll, I don't have it in front of me, but I'll oh, actually hang on. Yes, I do. Dantian, your secret energy center by is it Christopher J. Market? Yeah, Christopher Market. Yeah, Christopher Market. Yeah, I can put that in the when I post this show. I can put that in the comments on the Facebook site so people can read the name yeah. and and um and you can buy it as an ebook. I've got it as an ebook. It wasn't expensive. No, it's it's a pretty yeah. old. You know, it's one of the older books, and it's quite easy to uh, read. I'm finding it easy to easy to get through. It's super easy to read, yep. and once you have that basic, even that abstract idea about its multi-function and, and how it works in, in relation to how we perceive it and stuff like that, then you can build on what's going on. Yeah. You know, but even, even for people that, you know, people want to know how they clear their aura, how do you get this line straight, how do you connect to this core star, well, the clearing the aura can be done you know, different ways. People like to use smudge or sage or copal or, you know, frankincense. That was a whole thing with the church as well. They're just basically smudging the whole place with mm-hmm. the those big – I forgot what they're called. Oh, there's, big a, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a special name for that and I can't remember. It's been many years since I went to church. Um, yeah. Can't remember. But, yes, the big incense holders that they swing around in church. Swing around, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, Jump into water, you know, especially like a salt water like the ocean. Mm-hmm. That clears things energetically as well. There's meditations that people can do to, to clear the aura and the and the chakra system. So like essentially if you have a you have a run in with somebody and you have an argument, the argument, the energy of the argument will still stay within the auric structure. It's linked to emotion and uh, and thought process. So if you have a, a bad situation, you can then clear your aura and you're going to be back and centred a lot quicker than somebody that's still, you know, stewing over the argument. Mm. And you said to me but, something that I wasn't aware of in our first session, that if you have something traumatic happen, a piece of your soul, a piece of your soul energy stays there in that moment and you need to go back and get it. That's the yeah, soul okay, retrieval yeah, yeah. work, which I yep. don't know if you want to go there now, but... I thought that was really, really interesting and that could be preventing people from feeling really good is because they've had traumatic times and they've, they need to go back and get those pieces of their soul and, and seal them back in again. Western medicine has its place, even though the work that I do, you know, I'm not going to say Western medicine's shit or psychology shit because they do have their place. Science is caught in its own little trap that it needs to prove something before it will believe it. But even in in this sense, you know, like uh, I gave this example to somebody. If I work 100 times on 100 different people and I get the same result of change 100 times, I've just turned the hypotheses into theory and made it practical. And the result, those 100 results of, of it working would come down as the fact. So in science, if you get the same answer 100 times, it becomes a fact. But it, a lot of people say that the work that I do and that other people do is, is the hocus-pocus world. Well, if you're going to want to believe it, you're going to want to believe it. But we have physics. 
what Max Planck brought through back in the early days about the, the quanta and wave theory and the energy is there, even if we can't see it, this is what the shamans have known for like thousands of years. Mm. And because it's an energetic structure, we are an energetic structure. By nature, we have this thing called fracturing or soul fracturing. So as you said before, we can have a trauma. It doesn't matter whether it's mental trauma, physical trauma, emotional trauma, sexual trauma. What happens is that before, we remember before the accident, but we don't remember the accident. Our spirit has sort of got into a self-defense mechanism and it's split from the body. So an, a really constant, easy one for people to understand is uh, when people get so frightened, they faint. Mm-hmm. The same kind of a disassociation goes on. With journey work or drum journey work or soul flight, as I was taught it, you travel back to the accident site and then that part of you is, you know, usually standing around somewhere. And because we're, we're fractured off, our energetic structure also has a crack or becomes weak. This weakness or these fractures, people try and fill up with addictive behavior, whether it's addictive substance or it's addictive activity. Uh, they try and fill up these holes from the outside. And inadvertently, the holes sort of become bigger because there's a part of them is still freaking out from the trauma. So as a, as a shaman, one of the main parts of my work is going to get those pieces back. You know, like, as I said to you on that, that first talk, our parents are really amazingly beautiful because they give us the gift of life, but they also fuck us up <laughs> yes. you know, because a lot of this stuff happens when we're kids. Mm. So when you, you get that piece back, and you bring it back and seal it in, which in, as the method I use, you hug that piece in, I seal it energetically into the body. And what happens is that that part that's freaking out, first of all, it's no longer freaking out because it's home. But second of all, it's been brought from the inside and sealed so that that cracking or that fracturing uh, is healed within the energetic structure. And that in itself just brings about a sense of calmness, uh, of groundedness, of, of a kind of strength, that emotional strength is a way most people sort of regard it. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that happens a lot with this, this fracturing well, and trauma. I, I certainly felt since we did that healing in the first session when I spoke to you, after doing some of retrieving some of those pieces of my spirit and also doing the removing of that attachment, I I feel remarkably different. I mean, I'm still, you know, as we said, I'm still human and things still go up and down, but I don't feel any anywhere near as miserable as I felt then. And it's still, yeah. what is it, four weeks later or something like that or six, six weeks or since I first spoke to you, still feel great. Yeah. Yeah, that's this sense of being. Yeah. Like, depending on the condition of our energetic structure determines our whole sense of being, whether we're happy, whether we're, you know, whether we're ungrounded, whether we're running around like maniacs. And like I said, these things in the invisible world can eat you. You know, we can become hotels. And and that, for a lot of people, is a day-to-day emotional content, whether it be anxiety, whether it be depression, very powerful emotions because these things, that's how these things eat. 
is from our, our emotions. Can can you explain, you did for me last week, but could you explain for the Yowie Central listeners what an attachment is? How, how does that work? Okay, so we, we're physical beings and because we're actually, we have a body, we are grounded, very grounded in the 3D reality. So grounding rods or like a lightning rod is another way that I sort of like to explain it is that we're connected to the earth. There's a lot of things in the invisible world that don't have the physical body. So there's different energies, like there's a different spectrum. I, I sort of use the chessboard as an analogy. You have your low level stuff, which would be your pawns. And then you have a next level, which is like the knight, then the rook, and then you have your bishop, and then you have your king and your queen. So some energies are dumb and they're, they're existing. Some energies are inorganic intelligences, uh, which was, you know, like the mid-mid light, I would deem as an inorganic intelligence. It's a perceptible content, so you can see it, but it has an intelligence that it will go through the bush or left or right or turn around. Uh, then you work into other things which are disembodied beings or you start to get up to entities and demons and things like that. And again, science, a lot of people don't want to acknowledge the existence of demons or these entities. One, because there's no cure for it from science. You know, there's, there's psychological assessment of it, you know, and medication comes into that. But as an energetic situation, you can have things in your aura or in your physical body that will get into your head and give you a psychological outlook. And that psychological outlook will produce an emotional content. And that emotional content becomes their food. You know, so sex uh, addiction can be linked, what you would say, to an incubus succubus type of energy. It could be using your body to gain that uh, physical advantage. As I found out in, in my training and uh, when I started to to be doing with the exorcism stuff, a lot of the world's families also have these things on the on their lines. As I found out, that was on my father's line, and I had to clear it off uh, my dad's line. One to be clear of it myself, but also to 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 deal with it in that respect. These things can come and eat us. So when people are seeing these dreaming spirits or these apparitions uh, that are coming. Yeah, they're there, 100%. They're making themselves known, but also there's a lot there that won't make itself known. You know, So an exorcist would say that it's a very old, tricky energy. And these, these energies can be very old, like ancient, ancient energies, uh, and they'll trick people. You know, like the, the Christian and Catholic Church is quite big on sin. Like there's a very strong demarcation. You don't play with this, you don't play with that because you can get possessed. And how that works is that these energies need an invitation. Maybe when it comes to an ancestral thing, you might have had somebody five or six generations back that, you know, have asked for help and, and they've got this lower lower frequency energy that's turned up to, to do the bidding, whether it be magic or, you know, people into channeling or whatever – there's a lot of things that live in the invisible world 
and they will give us information just so that we make the connection. And that connection is an invitation. You know, so if you play with an Ouija board, there's an invitation for something to come through. If you, if you are not fully trained with your healing and you just want to go out and help people really quickly, you might open yourself also up as an invitation because not everything that's, that's invisible is all wonderful and good and healing. I have one client who for three years was, was convinced that he was talking to seven gods and goddesses to get certain information. And it took him three years to figure out that it was just one entity and the entity was lying to him the whole time, you know, and, and this is how it works. So we're not, we're not totally infallible when it comes to being all holy and pure, but again, Western culture doesn't really want to know the full extent of how close we are to the invisible world because one, it just changes the paradigm, but also you you have a certain responsibility. You know, like for, for a shamanic healer, I still like to be human, which means I like to have a drink and I like to go out and have a dance. Uh, as soon as I get home though, I clear myself of anything that I've picked up. <laughs> you know, like or if, if I meet a prospective partner, because sex is also a big in, uh, invitation to pass these energies around. It's, it's a hard one to bring in that, oh, hi, you know, I think you need an exorcism before we have sex. You know? <laughs> it's so That's romantic. A, a weird, yeah, very weird conversation. Uh, but, no, just you know, just hang on a sec. Before you, take off your, before you take off your clothes, I've just got to do an exorcism on you. <laughs> yeah, just let me get out the cross. Um, but, you know, I'll just, the, let, the I'll just need the holy this. water, just a minute. Yeah. Hold this crucifix. The, the joke, exactly. <laughs> the, the joke about that is it can always be done after. You know, clear yourself up. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> but the, the invisible world, there's a lot to it, and it's becoming more known now. So, yeah, if we are heading towards an, a time of confluence and, and things are going to get all squirrely, then where we're going to pick it up from the most is going to be our inner landscape. So it's going to be our psychological makeup. It's going to be our emotional content. And we need to be as strong as possible because it's already begun. And a lot of people are are getting stressed. A lot of people want to know what they can do. And an easy one, and this is one that we can go through now, this is how to contact that core star, which which is basically the essence of creation that's in everybody. If people want to go through that, you just got to close your eyes and be in the dark and let your awareness drop to around your belly, around your stomach area. And you just see into the dark. And now imagine that there's a little sun in that darkness and it starts to get bright and the luminosity starts to grow. And then you may feel a sensation around in your, in your abdomen. And you get this to glow brighter and brighter and brighter and to get into the feeling. But don't think about the feeling because that's thinking and feeling are two different languages. Get a sense of this star growing. And you can take it a next step and ask it to grow brighter again to saturate the physical body. And you may get a sensation that goes through your body. And then you can ask it also to grow brighter again 
and to go through your chakra system to saturate your aura and see it glowing bright like this little sun has been having a, a supernova. And that energetic correspondence or that feeling correspondence, correspondence is how you detect or you become aware of the energy in the body. You know, so like I can't remember what episode it was, but Cade had on, on the Believe podcast mm. about the, that old hippie guy that used to just do this meditation. You know, He was an old surfer. And he'd just sit there and get this kind of bliss. And and that was his meditation. He got into it and he'd sit there and, and feel that. So in, in the interview, he described that these two people tried to get him to, to come and, and sort of like strong him, strong arm him into being in, in a church, being a, a pastor in the church or something. So the young guy's hitting him with a lot of intellectual stuff. And the guy that's doing the interview was sort of got jack of that and got the shits with it. So he just started doing the meditation. He you know, dropped down into his body and was getting in touch with his energy. And at that point, the old guy just stopped the young guy and said, look, can't you feel in the room? God's in the room. There's nothing we can teach or talk about with this guy. And then, then they left. Right. You know, so when, when you've got that energy going inside of you and in your body and it starts to sit in your aura, you know, your aura is you know, two meters across two and a half meters across. So anybody in that vicinity is also going to be in touch with that energy. We're, we're starting to align with that higher frequency. It's on the outside because as humans, we are playing catch up to that, but it's also that sense of being, which is the most important thing. You know, I want to let people know that you have hope. You're not doomed to be, to be stuck in this Armageddon hellfire situation. <laughs> There are energetic principles in the body that when they're in alignment produces a natural bliss, you know, like a, a self, uh, self-contentment, self a feeling of being taken care of. It's that mysticism, mental, emotional mysticism labeled by the West that's actually just a mechanism within every human being. Don't give up hope, people. Know that you've got something to be aware of and you've got something to move to. But also, it doesn't matter how hard it gets. Uh, and again, this is this in the second book that I told you to get, the Hara Vital Center of Man book. He describes it as a hidden wellspring of strength that just keeps coming up and coming up. And it helps you to, you know, to endure the unendurable which I think is its greatest quality because we have a lot that we're trying to deal with on a day-to-day basis in this crazy fucked up society, let alone our day-to-day relationships. And it's like, it's like meditation. It, it, you, if you, when you first start trying to practice doing it, it doesn't feel comfortable and you're not quite sure what you're doing and you can't still your mind. But the more you, practice it the better you get at it and I'm thinking that this what you're talking about is is similar you 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 for the for the listeners out there 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 is everyone can do this everyone can access this you just need to learn about it learn how to do it and practice it and you can do it every single person has the capacity to do this exactly yeah because it's like we have a hidden cheat code already Mm. installed it's just that nobody's told us that this thing exists. Yeah. So if, if you don't know something exists, you can't ask a question about it. 
let alone put it into a reference of experience. And we've also been told that this invisible world doesn't exist and all these beings, these entities, these, you know, this whole world that, that you and I know about, we've been told that that doesn't exist, certainly in, in Western societies, certainly in, in my experience of the Catholic Church, which is what I was, I was brought up in, this kind of thing, the invisible world doesn't exist. Uh, and if it does, it's, it's, it's just demons and you need to get rid of those. Exactly. Yeah. But, but we're, not, we're not taught about this or how to access this or how to find this within ourselves at all in, in, in our society. But you can. Everyone can. Well, our, you know, but again, I put this down to we lost, we lost the Library of Alexandria. So, so when, you're, when you're ignorant, a falsity can become a truth. And, and, and you'll fight for that truth also which is a, that human fallibility of we don't want to be duped. We don't want to think something we've given our time and effort into uh, and, and built our reality on. We don't want to think that, that could dupe us because then it was, what have we got left, really? <laughs> you, start telling, you start telling people that everything that they've relied on, you've now taken away. You, you know, you've put people into a lesser situation than they started. And... And this is something I find a problem with at the moment. A lot of people are doom and glooming about mm-hmm. what's going on. And we, we don't need to doom and gloom because, first of all, we have an, an opportunity to discover a whole new perceptive landscape, which for me is always ex- an exciting possibility. It also means that life doesn't get boring. When I was younger, okay, so... I guess a bit of a, a background for me and my work. I've been into this since I was in my late teens. So coming up to 30, 35 years of, of learning, one of the greatest lessons I learned was from uh, a lama, my, my refuge lama, good old lama Trijam. He knew that I had a bit of judgment, you know, like more judgment than the Old Testament God. So he tried to teach me to get beyond that. And his way was to go and see everybody as if they were glass like all crystal clear like perfectly crystal clear so it took me like three or four days of of non-stop walking around trying to see people as crystal clear and i saw them as suits as hippies as housewives as as ferals you know there was this kind of judgment label going on and then one day it happened and everybody just became souls you know, and, and for me, that was a profound moment because I realized what I was amongst these other souls and that we were just all in the same boat together. And it helped a lot, especially that mechanism of, of you're just seeing souls. You're not actually seeing a person anymore. And ironically enough, it freed me up. You know, like I got out of that little cage of, of judgment and and making the story before you've talked to the person, you know, judging the book by the cover, so to so to speak. Which is again, that's just such a human condition. Yeah. We really, you know, we don't give it a full judgment unless we've seen it, tasted it, smelt it, and touched it. Which again leaves the invisible world in in this quasi space. Yeah. You know. Um, but it's there, you know, like my, my, one of my favorite examples is when uh, 
the elder that I was learning from, uh, good old Gabu, very old shaman okay. down south uh, from the uh, Wallaga Lakes area the, and the Ewan mob. So when I was living in Sydney and I'd moved to different houses, he would come and introduce me to the land every time I moved, you know, and he would go around to every bush or every little tree or shrub or every plant basically that was on the property. And when, when I would watch him talk to it, it had more life, you know, like it, it had an alacrity to it that was different to all the other plants. But then when he moved to the next plant, that, that clarity also moved to the next plant. And when I mentioned this, that's when he, he started, you know, understanding that I could see the dreaming. And that's what the dreaming is. It's, it's an invisible energetic component that nourishes the physical. So uh, a Curry dreaming story would be about the land. So that energetic action is the story or the myth of how the land was created, but it's also what's regenerating or what the energy is of the land. I don't know, you know, if that one, that's an easy one to make sense of. But this in this invisible world has a very big impact on the physical and it can change the physical as well. So my, my first teacher said to me, you have to Sherlock Holmes everything. You look in the physical for every possible answer because it's going to, the physical is going to show you what's there. You know, like don't, don't use your little facts to make up the story, look at the look at what's going on at the real facts to find the story, because the spirit can actually impact the physical as well, uh, and that's happened to me a couple of times, where you know where things have disappeared, or they've been left somewhere, and then they've turned up completely different place in the physical, uh, and for me when the first time that happened, which I told in that story um, we were out in the in the blue mountains in the Meglong valley and left something there at four o'clock in the morning that we couldn't find even even looking for it we couldn't find it was was gone um it turned up in glebe the next day more or less you know and when i saw it on the table i shit myself because <laughs> i know we'd left it out there yeah and even to the point i waited for my girlfriend to wake up and when she saw it her face went white and I thought, you know, okay, so she didn't bring, bring it back either. Mm. And we were, you know, we were very hesitant to touch it physically <laughs> because it, in case it was physical, because it was unexplained. Yeah. You know, um, but I've had that happen here as well, you know, especially where I'm living in Sweden. It's happened a fair bit in my living space. Things just but, um, disappearing and then reappearing. Yeah, or, you know, or, or like the tap turning on full in the kitchen when I'm doing something in, in the bathroom, it's the spirit. And, and, you know, as even as a shaman, I argue with my spirit because I'm an idiot sometimes, um, <laughs> but, you know, when it will, when spirit will, will do something in the physical, it will also be a confirmation for me, you know, like get it through your thick head kind of thing. You know, like this is a situation, you know, don't have the doubt, go, go at it. Because we need to discern, you know, like I'm talking about something really quasi here, like quasi scientific for sure, but you never, never stop asking questions 
always try and find cr- cr- try and find cross references to things. Uh, if it happens once, maybe a coincidence. If it happens twice, look for it a third time. You know, so f- for me, it, when something happens three times, it's a confirmation. A confirmation that spirit is trying to tell you something. Yeah, and, and it's a cross, like it's a cross reference. Hmm. So, so if you um, so if you're doing that, something, so your tap turns on in the kitchen and you haven't touched it, is that is that a spirit like a ghost or is that spirit as in the invisible world? Like how do you know what I mean? Like is is that an actual ghost moving your tap? Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't say so much ghost, mm-hmm. but, but more like. As a shaman, I have to have guides or allies in in the invisible world. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, okay. You know, like so, like it's a your assistant in the invisible world, right? So, at that particular time, I the tap turned on in my kitchen. I was going through something in the bath in the bathroom, which was, you know, uh, I was questioning my own self fiction, like how much of this was I making this shit up. Mm-hmm. Right. when I was doing that activity. Okay. And that was a confirmation that, like, no, you weren't making it up because what you were doing, you know, here's the relevance. Yeah. And, again, you know, there was a second person that saw it, knew that there was no way I was in the kitchen, and asked me, how did you turn the tap on <laughs> in right. the kitchen from yeah. the bathroom? So, you know, things like that will, can happen and do happen, which is where, you know, where magic comes from. People talk about magic and you know, things just turning up. That It does. It really happens. Because we have the lower astral, the middle astral, and the upper astral. That's very close to where we're at physically. You know, it's where our emotional content lives. It's where we go when we dream at night or we astral travel. Things like elements, elementals or earth spirits live in, in that realm as well. So there's a lot around us, you know, like, but I would say it's more... Yeah, it's more an ally doing that activity than a ghost. Right. A, a ghost is a human without a body, more or less, a soul without a body. Mm. But a soul that still has an energetic principle to it. It's like it still has bodies from the aura. So it just that hasn't gone back to source or back to creation. You know, it's still stuck within within an area. But, you know, that's a whole... Oh, we need. We definitely there. need to talk, have a session one day of talking about ghosts and exorcism and things like that. We don't need to do it today, but I know there are people that I've had lately. People contacting me, and I've had um, talking to to witnesses talking to me about paranormal activity, as in ghost activity, that's feeling negative and frightening, and people waking up with scratches and things flying past their heads and almost hitting them, um, you know, activity that doesn't feel like a guide or a spirit helping out, it feels um, malicious and malignant. Malevolent. Yeah, malevolent, yeah. All, the, all the M words. So, so it'd be nice to, I don't know if you want to touch on that now, but it'd be nice to at some stage for the listeners out there who are having that stuff happen and are, you know, frightened to understand what's going on and maybe what they can do about it. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, first of all, unless it can launch something off the wall and get you in the head with something physical, all it can do is make you frightened. Um, you know, nine out of ten times, if, if you have somebody that was just had a really shitty life uh, and they were angry all the time and, and they didn't like people, then when they pass, there's a, maybe a, a, a guilt or something holding them back from crossing over or going back to source. So they, that hesitancy to make that journey can keep them stuck here or in the astral content. Right? So if you're, in, if you're now moved into angry person's house, they know that you're there. They can see you probably more than you can see them. So they'll do things to try and get you out because you're in their space. You know, so, um, but again, emotion can be a very, very powerful food for anything. But a demon's a lot different to a ghost. A demon would, is a very destructive, in, intelligent, destructive um, energy, you know, the opposite to like what people would think an angel or a healing guide is. One's creative and the other one's destructive. They're just doing their jobs. You know, people shouldn't take it personally. Uh, you know, if anything, take it as a compliment because the brighter the light, the darker the shadow. So... If you're if you're getting possessed, you know more than once, then you're maybe like a Michelin star restaurant that doesn't write a bill, or you're <laughs> playing around with things that you don't comprehend. You're playing with fire, and a lot of people do that. Mm. Playing with Ouija boards um, but, and seances and calling th- calling shit yeah, in that they shouldn't be. Yeah, which we all did as kids, you know, like every we oh, all yeah, same. played with the Ouija board. Yeah, no one. No one told me at a young age what I was doing. <laughs> um, but the the ghost activity, that's a whole whole different story. You know, like I'm now living in, in Sweden, especially in Stockholm, a lot of people died in their homes because there were no hospitals to die in. There was no there was no hospice situation. And like here you've got buildings that are done in like built in the fifteenth, sixteenth century. So, you know, there's a, a bit of age to it. So there's a lot of things can can live in places after a while, which which are ghosts. But like I said, they can only make you afraid. So you can tell them to piss off, and if they don't want to piss off, then you can try and delineate a boundary. You know, so you have we well embodied people, incarnated people, we have a lot more power than the invisible world for the simple fact that we're grounded. We are in that 3D capacity, you know, so we can make 
uh, with our voices, we can make noise that sits on the ether, you know, which is where people say prayer is so strong. You, you're reciting a frequency that's, you know, they're filling the room with frequency that could change a lower frequency into an upper frequency. The light and the dark stories, again, if people understand about the old science of alchemy, alchemy wasn't so much turning lead into gold, it was about changing a frequency, you know, like a very spiritual science. You go from being a, uh, a bullfed rugby player, you know, nothing against the rugby players, but you, you go from being a bullfed to you change the frequency up that you become uh, like an enlightened philosopher. That's the same as an alchemy, alchemical process of lead into gold. It was very symbolic in its expression, alchemy, because of its heretical nature. You know, it went again a lot against what the church was espousing. But as we get towards these freaky times, a lot of the heavy energy is there to be transmuted. And this is what we're about physically. So people have an ancestral frequency. You know, like to me, there's a sort of like an ancestral frequency, like a soul frequency that you're born into, like a genetic frequency. But there's also a land frequency that you're connected to and these can have an epigenetic content so whether it be a, a demon or whether it be a, a psychological habit or even an, an addiction an energy can run down through the generation so if your great 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 grandparent couldn't get through the issue it goes to your great grandparent if they couldn't get through the issue to your grandparent if they don't get through the issue uh, and, and die and lose a body, gets put to your parents, and when they pass on, then it gets put through to you. This is epi epigenetic trauma, trauma. A lot of people say that they want to heal their ancestors or they're healing for their ancestors. And that's also true in the sense of there's, there's a frequency, and that's what it's about. It's about changing this lower dynamic into a higher dynamic. You know, like enlightened is a really is a really easily used word at the moment, quite a strong word. And people say, like, what is enlightenment? Well, first of all, you have to be grounded fully to become enlightened. Sitting down meditating for 10 hours a day is, you know, is an indulgent, indulging more than anything. But that's not enlightenment. Enlightenment when you go up against a problem that sends you into a rage and then you're okay with it. And you can understand that the person that's, that's the other side of that problem is just a soul that's suffering and you want to help them. There's your enlightenment, yeah. you know. You're helping something that before would set you off and you want to kill someone. So it's this, this proactive, well, what I deem as a proactive encouragement for humanity to get better, to be better people, to be nicer to ourselves nicer to our people and build a better culture you know, yeah. which really only comes from your communication to another human being yeah and isn't that what so, this this 3d to 5d ascension isn't that a big part of this change is that we're moving past that that place and that world where we attack each other and we're judgmental and we're setting each other off and we're getting enraged at other people, isn't it partly 
to do, in my simple understanding, but partly to do with moving into a place where the people are are supporting each other, loving each other, cherishing each other, allowing each other each other to flourish, and not spending time on those low frequency negative emotions and reactions. Yep. Is that part of exactly? Yeah. Would you would you be able to explain a little bit about that that shift, that three D to five D shift? Because I'm I'm really only learning about it now, and I'm sure there's lots of listeners out there who who aren't sure what it means either. Some uh, people, you know, like I've been I've been hassled that it's this rapture. Everyone talking about the rapture. All of a sudden, the souls are going to leave the body. Yeah, you know, to me, I. And, and my educated guessing is it's more the opposite. When, when we start to become really grounded into our bodies, we're not so much in our minds. You know, like the mental awareness and emotional awareness and body awareness are three different ways that we perceive and interact with the world. So when, when we're coming from the mind, it's from a very weak point of position. The mind, even when it's got an answer in front of it, will still ask questions or doubt. The body's intelligence, it speaks through intuition, and that's about knowing. You don't need to qualify the knowing. You just know yes, you know no. You know right, and even though you can't figure logically out why it's right or wrong, there's this dead set knowing, this gut feeling. So the more we are towards the body awareness and the more that we actually start to become connected and aware of this energetic invisible aspect of ourselves then that's when we start to see the perception change right so your 5d isn't going to be oh we're going to disappear all of a sudden you're in heaven looking at god the 5d is going to be that you're walking around the streets and you're able to perceive who's going through what in terms of feeling that whole telepathy question of telepathy and mind speak moves into that area because we're, fu- we're functioning at a higher frequency. So if that higher frequency is grounded, you're like your aura would be stronger or maybe you see other people's energy. You know, you see, if you can see their Hara line and, and this kind of phenomena, that's where you're getting to more towards the 5D because it's not so much we're leaving it or we're leaving here to go to it we're grounding it down to us. You know, so, you know, one, one thing that's taught in Buddhism is that, you know, it spun me out when I was younger that he's the Tibetan Buddhist and they don't believe in God yeah. at all. And I'm thinking, you know, from my, my limited perspective back then, I thought these are the most spiritual people on the planet and they don't believe in God. So when I, you know, took it to my Lama, he said, well, to believe in God, is it separate from you? Because if you believe in God, you've just separated yourself from from the universe, mm-hmm. you, from everything. Mm-hmm. You know, so you need this figurehead, where the Buddhists say don't believe in God. So you you might be saying a seven line prayer to Padmasambhava, but at the same time that you're saying this seven line prayer, you're imagining or feeling the image of Him manifesting in an in an or, or around you. You know, so you're feeling what it's like to be Buddha, not just saying a prayer. 
you know, it's that grounding of that essence or that frequency, which then flows through our actions and decisions and reactions to the world. So um, when, when we see this, this tragic figure of this dude on a cross and he died for our sins, then you're making something quite abstract and non-reachable. Which, which, again, is where someone can step in and use it for power. And you're also then taking away the power. You're also giving that power to someone else. You can't save yourself. Someone has to come and save you. Yep. Yeah, it's sort of designed to to make you powerless, keep you to keep you down. Yep. It's not designed to exactly. elevate you at all. It's designed to keep you down and and forget that you can actually have you can save yourself. You don't need someone else to do it. Yeah, you don't need intermediary between yeah. you and spirit. Yeah. You know, so as as a as a shaman, and and people could wonder like, why would I call, call myself a shaman? A plumber calls himself a plumber. An electrician calls <laughs> himself an electrician. <laughs> I have skill set the same as a plumber or an electrician. It's just maybe a little bit older. The term shaman actually is, is a Tungus term of um, Samaim, and we've anglicized it. This um, Mercedes Eliada, a, a wonderful author who wrote about shamanism, he anglicized this word to have a cross-cultural, I guess, reference to to what a shaman is. So when people ask, you know, so, so what do I do? Well, first of all, I don't run around with feathers in my hair and <laughs> all that kind of stuff, wearing buckskin because it's not my culture, but I have a foot in the invisible world and a foot in the physical world. I can work either by distance, as I did with you, or I can work one-to-one and manipulate or work with the invisible energy so it impacts the physical. So if somebody comes to me as a client, I assess their energetic condition, and that's done through, one, a perception of what's going on, but it's also... a uh, sort of like a qualification or a diagnostic of the emotional state of, of mind and of mental state of mind or state of being, I should say. We we have weaknesses because of trauma. All of us have trauma. It doesn't matter. Like, I, you know, I've had trauma. That's why I got into this work in the beginning because I knew I was, I was fucked up and I didn't trust religion. I didn't trust spiritualities because there was no practical aspect to it, but I knew that there needed to be healing. Uh, so when I work with a client, the first part of the session is working with that energetic structure mechanically, like being the, the mechanic for that, for the for the aura, for the hara line and the core star stuff. But then it's working deeper with soul flight or getting at the psychological stuff. Because as we human beings, if we're fractured up and, and we've got holes and, and energetically we're, we're weak, we become mentally pliable. We become emotionally volatile, and and we're at that the thin thin end of the ice spectrum. So my whole idea is that I want to one fix you up energetically, but also reconnect you to lost power or fractured pieces. So and do it in a way that you can do also do for yourself later, or you can re-experience, and that brings back an energetic quality to the to the person or to the physical body there's a better alignment between the invisible and the visible. And that is felt just in your sense of well-being. 
you know, like your confidence, your your emotional stability, the the lack of like anxiety or depression or you know in, in, not immaturity, the insecurities and this kind of thing. So when when we have that power energetically structured, uh, we're in a better place to deal with what we need to deal with. So as as a healer and as a shaman, that's my job to do that. Uh, I also work with plants um, in ceremony. So my two plants are, are San Pedro, which is Wachuma from the Andes and Santos Ninos or the mushrooms. I uh, worked a lot in ceremony with an ayahuasca shaman. So there's that work as well as the one-to-one work, uh, clearing houses or clearing space or, you know, connecting people with land. That's also a shamanic job or tradition, a guiding of souls. So, you know, so back in the day in a tribal situation, uh, it would have been one person or, you know, one or two people would do the, fulfill the, the, the duty that we've now given to medicine, psychology, spirituality. You know, we've, we've, as a Western culture, we've de, you know, compartmentalized everything and separated. So would you be, I guess, what, what you could maybe term a clever man in the, in the original Australian terminology, like a, a, a yep. he's a, they, they call people a clever man or a kadaicha. Was that one of the other words? What was the word that you um, used before? Kadaicha, um, karadaji. Karadaji, right. Is yeah. um, is another expression, or you know, as as one of my favourite ones. If I go to Saudi Arabia, they cut my head off because I'm a sorcerer. Ah, yes, right. You know? Yeah, sorcerer. It's the same. It's the same tag. Yeah. So, yeah. like a, a clever man again. That's somebody who's they call them clever because not only do they know different things, but it's applicable. So it was my mid twenties when I realised that if I could not physically and practically apply my knowledge right here, right now. It wasn't worth shit, you know, and that that really made me get down to honing these these techniques. So, you know, everybody can learn a technique, and that's not a not a problem. It's not an issue. There's shamanic techniques that people can learn also, but it comes down to really, in the end, uh, I never chose this job. I never I never chose to be a shaman. If I could have my way, I would have being a cinematographer i'd rather work with film right. film and art <laughs> but spirit picked me for different reasons so my earliest um my earliest experience was a kid and and i grew up in uh next to Parramatta in sydney in a place called rose hill which is right next to the race course uh, and our family business was was racehorses so you know, I used to go out the stables in when they had that break time between nine and, and two. The stables were very quiet because they were resting from doing the early morning work and getting ready to do the afternoon work. And I used to love that space because it was in the morning it was all hectic, it was chaos, there were horses and people and, and noises everywhere. So before and it was before I was going to school because I can remember walking around in there and just loving this silence. But we also had a drain. And I remember this one day I went down down looked in the drain and there was a snake coming up out of the darkness. And and it was beautiful. It was scary at the same time and it was coming up from the dark. So I, you know, 
as a kid, I ran off to tell my dad and because snakes and horses don't mix, then everybody's out looking for the horse. And my dad said to me, like, what was the color of the snake? You know, what did it look like? And I said, oh, you know, it was black because it was coming out of the dark, but it had red. And then so they started to think it was a red belly black snake. And then, I'm, you know, I come out with the rest of the colors. It was gold. It was purple. It was blue. It was green. <laughs> and they're like, oh, stupid kid, you know, like <laughs> fantasy land kind of thing. But I saw that coming out of the drain and I still see it in my mind's eye. So when I did meet Gabu and I was introduced to Gabu, he recognized something in me also. And when I explained to him about what I'd, I'd seen, he said to me that was the reason why he would sort of take me under his wing at that point. Because I, he understood that I'd seen the dream. And, you know, but then again, I'd have, like I had a dream about American Indian in a cowboy suit. And next in the dream, next to him was this energy that was all form. Like it was, sorry, all mass, but there was no form to it. It was just this very big ball of energy. So that guy turns out to be real. He was an Apache shaman that I met in person. Huh. And also one of the humblest little learnings that I got early, because in my mind, I'm like an, an Indian in a cowboy suit. What's the dichotomy on that, you know? Uh, and I asked him, you know, like Apache Paul, how come you're wearing a cowboy suit if you're an Apache shaman? And he looked at me like, you know, like I got a lot of looks back then. And that, that look said white boy. <laughs> you know, it was like it was written across my forehead, white boy question. Uh, and he just said to me, I'm a professional rodeo rider. You know, so again, the, look, at, look at the reality. Look at what's real. You're going to get the real answer to it. Yeah. Um, but he took me under his wing, uh, a Maori tohonga when I lived in New Zealand, the tohonga or the Maori shaman for Cape Rianga. Uh, Pineha, he also took me under his wing and taught me. Shaman in, in South America that we, you know, we worked with and, and my last actual teacher who uh, when, when the teachers die, you can talk about them. But un until they die, you can't actually mention their names, which is I always think is a funny thing. Uh, but my last teacher, who he was Ross Heaven, and he's written, you know, for people that want to read about this stuff, he was a contemporary, he's like a contemporary Joseph Campbell, been described at. He's written probably the most books on shamanic work and the plant medicines that one person has put together. Uh, and you can find his work on Amazon. And that's Ross, R-O-S-S, Heaven, H-E-A-V-E-N. Awesome dude. Awesome guy to learn on. Often I was really very lucky and privileged that he let me in, into his life, you know, because there was a lot of people that knew him and, and worked with him and stuff. Uh, but he was a powerful, powerful man that showed me things in – and it had to be practical. You know, he, it had to be practical. You could talk about, you know, like he said, you know, like if two shamans are going to get together and talk about spirits for four days, it's like two plumbers talking about pipes. <laughs> you know, it gets boring. <laughs> so let's do it. You know, like you're either going to be in ceremony, have a plant, or, or do the work. But Ross was the only one that really explained what he was teaching me. Right. Everybody else would say, can you do this? And if I could do it, it went on to the next layer or the next section. But if I couldn't do it, it was complete change of subject. 
let's do something else. Right. So we won't talk to you about, we won't teach you this if you can't do it, or do you end up getting to the point where you can do it? Well, it, it's more to the point, and this is the big thing that people don't understand with shamanism. Shamanism is not about spirituality. It's not about your belief structure. It's about power. So you either have the power to do it or not. You know, we don't have pieces of paper saying that we can do things. Our, our ability purely comes down to what effect we have. You know, so power, power doesn't belie your connection to God or to creation. You can, you can be a white magician or a black magician. That's the same thing. So first of all, you need to be to have power in the invisible world is to have an energetic content within yourself. Some people, when they do journey work, they can't see things. They might be able to feel it. Some people might to see, like I see 3D movies. So my energetic power structure is different to somebody else, to the person that can't see it. But you also need to be chosen or, or picked by the invisible world to, right. as to be a vessel for that power. Right. You know? So you can't um, just go, so but, I can't just go, right, I'm sick of doing what I'm doing now. I, I want to be a shaman, a shaman if I haven't had some sign that I should be doing that. I can't just decide, oh, well, I'm going to do it now. Well, you, you get your signs. Like for me, when I was younger, I had the same book jump off three bookshelves at three different bookstores. Right. <laughs> you know? And and for me, I just picked up the book, looked at it and put it back on the shelf. It wasn't until the last time I thought maybe I should read this book <laughs> because it appears to be the same book. Got it, yeah. Uh, and that was a book called Native Healer by Bobby Medicine Grizzly Bear Lake. You know, so it was giving me subtle hints back then. Um. But the difference, like people can go to workshops and be taught shamanic techniques. You can read books and learn shamanic techniques. You can, you can also learn how to change the oil filter in your car from a book. You know, there's no problems with that when you get down to technique and, and ability. But the difference comes to like when you start to hit the, the thin ice or the trouble. So if I come up against a problem that I've never experienced before is going to be different than someone who's been book learning or went to a workshop and they come up against a problem that nev they've never experienced before. Their book can't teach them something that's not in there. Um, whereas I'm lucky that because I've had my teachers, I have lineage behind me. So my lineage can come forward and, and not only protect me, but also, uphold me and probably start to then teach me how to get past this potential problem or challenge. So it, it always come down to you can either do it or you can't. Yep. And if you can do it, you do it and go to a bit more depth with it. But if you can't, get on to the next thing. Right. You know, so as, as Gabu explained, the, the 30 young kids that try and become clever men, the three that are alive at the end – are the clever men. <laughs> you know, so and, and you can't you know you can't get a, a better example of that is the ones that actually die, die doing it. 
you know, they weren't strong enough to be yeah. the sharp. So, yeah. but you know, people can train for it, uh, and depending on, you know, for me, for me, there's two factors. I'm I'm a strong believer in reincarnation, so I've know that I've done this work before, uh, and I have a, a, a certain kind of grace to the the information and the, and maybe the ability or the technique. But I also know that I've been picked from from I've had this exterior greater or spirit, whatever you want to call it, this exterior thing come and, and touch me and say, like, look, I know what you want to do, but you now have to start doing this, and which is kind of cool. It's not boring. I'll give it that. And you said it was a 12-year apprenticeship. That was my first teacher, yeah. Your first, just your first teacher was a 12-year apprenticeship. Just my first teacher was, yeah, yeah and right. he wasn't a shaman. Right. So what was he, you know, what was he, he teaching? He would come come under like he would be more alchemist but also you know one thing he was big on was um physics because spirituality and physics are the same mechanism it's an energetic principle you know so physics explains a lot about things just your basic logic and figuring things out we're also into the old world archaeology which in australia there are a few sites that are ancient sites that are non-aboriginal Mm-hmm. You know, it comes into an old, older history that needs to be sorted out and have context. Uh, but he gave me a really good foundation of of spirituality. You know, like the the first thing that he really hammered me about was like the respect that you have to have for the feminine. You really have to respect the feminine because it's the feminine that gives the masculine the gifts. Now, so Mother Nature will give mankind the gift, let alone it's the woman that gives birth to the baby. You know, so, you know, like I said, he was more the alchemist, the science of the opposites, as well as other other practical things. But, yeah, that was 12 years apprenticeship, which, again, you know, a lot of people that want to learn from me now and they ask if they can be apprentice, and the first thing I ask is, are you willing to do 12 years work and not touch anyone with your, with your new tools and your new toys, <laughs> you know, and invariably they say no. It's like, well, you've just failed the first part. <laughs> and secondly, as, as a shaman or being all these years, we know now that anybody who wants to be a shaman, usually not. It's the people that don't want to be shamans. They're usually the ones that are the best. Yeah, because you know, so maybe if either, someone wants to be a shaman, maybe it's for the wrong reasons. They want because it's a you 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 can become power. a very powerful person. Yeah, yep. and they might want want and anyone lusting after power, you've got to go. Mm, hang on a sec. What are their motivations? What what's their objective? Well, yeah, power is a tricky thing. Mm. It, if you don't have it, people that tend to not have it will try and gain it over other people. Yeah. You know, positions of power. Um, whereas people that have power, they're the ones that they're not doing anything. You know, they don't need to show it. They don't need to explain it. They don't need to, um, you know, there's no show pony with it because they know what they got. You know, like the, the old adage, the guy that says he's going to hit you, he won't hit you. The guy that's got the power to, he's not going to say anything. He's just going to land one on your jaw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so the, 
a lot of people want to become something also. You know, it's like a search for identity. And and in the 90s, there wasn't so much anything about it. But now with shamanism, uh, you have yoga shaman, Pilates shaman, you know, like tantra shaman, all these kind of labels that have that've been added or the word shaman gets added to it, which to me is it's just this anglicized version. You know, like people say, what are you? If I say, well, I'm a, a mechanic to the invisible, that gets a little bit abstract. <laughs> yeah. If I say I'm, I'm a clever man, that sounds like, oh, you know, so you're a smart ass. Um, but you say shaman and, and they usually have a vague idea, if not witch doctor. Everybody knows what a witch doctor is. Yeah. Witch doctor. Medicine man, would that be the same thing? Or is that maybe yeah, more physical? Medicine, medicine, man, medicine man is also more healer role, but that would be someone that works with plants also. But your prayer, can you be, be your medicine? The plants can be your medicine. Your healing ability might be your medicine. You know, so there's different qualifications. You could just be a ceremonial shaman or a sweat lodge shaman. You know, so you don't do anything except sweat lodges. But, you know, you're still, you're, you're a sweat lodge shaman. You know, it's where, where spirit will take you and and not only become a, a teacher or a guide to you, but it becomes a physical process of your life. You know, you start living in, in multi-dimensions, yeah. which is um, which is interesting. It's an interesting way to live. Was there anything else that you wanted to share with the Yao Essential listeners? Just basically, even though it could be tough times, don't give up hope. You know, know that there are ways out. And basically, everybody has got an opportunity. We don't always have to struggle. We don't always have to suffer. One of the biggest things I can say is that if, if you define your life by the battles that you've been through, by the people that have fucked you over, by the hurts and all that kind of stuff that you can't change, you're just defining your life by that. It will never be anything more than that. So, you know, as the, the Russians have an expression, make peace with it and move on. Just make peace with it. And however you need to, whatever you need to do to do that, then, you know, that's part of the soul's journey and, and healing. But the greater thing at the moment is don't get caught up in the bullshit that's being bandied around by people. Define your life by who you want to be, how you want to be, and where you want to be, and you head towards that. You know, so if you can't get over the the girlfriend that broke your heart 25 years ago, you're never going to meet someone who could probably put that heart back together and, and show you a really good life because you're just defining yourself by a broken heart, and that's all you'll ever be. So... We all have struggles. We all have pain. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to other people. Help yourself and help other people. You know, because really the one thing that we can have that's for free is gratitude. And and as a victim, people that feel like nothing goes good for them, they can have the gratitude that these problems are making them look at something that'd be too lazy to look at otherwise. You know, so adversity 
is not anything that's trying to kill you. If you look at it in as the challenge, you can even be grateful for that. But again, it's easy for me to say it as opposed to I'm not sitting, you know, sitting in somewhere I don't want to be with, you know, and maybe a family situation I don't want to be in. And I feel that the world is against me. You know, at one point in my life, I, everything I touched turned to shit. You know, it wasn't until I'd sort of got on my path that life started to become less stressful, I could say. And the reason why I did the shamanic work was for me. It was for my own health, my own state of mind, my own spirituality. And I had to help myself. And in, in doing so, I had people pop up on the way. So when you take that one step forward, the universe will take 10 towards you and will help you with what you need to be doing. It's just, first of all, just have gratitude with who you are and how you are with what you've got because it's too easy to have the shits with what you don't have and want to be something that you, you're not. And a, and a lot of society has been brought into this game because, again, it makes us weak. When when we are strong, you know, emotionally, physically, mentally strong and, and we're connected, we can get through any challenge, really any challenge. And more than anything, we're willing to help somebody else that can't help themselves as easy. And to me, that's the true humanity. It's not this divisive, hate him, hate her, judgment, you know, jealousy kind of thing. People can't tell it, you know, they've got it better than I've got it. We can never tell the quality of pain other people are holding. You know, like for me, I can hear in, in the quality of laugh someone has had that they've had pain that you couldn't, couldn't even imagine. Uh, so we're all suffering but we can all help each other and we can all help ourselves, which, you know, don't give up people. Don't give up on yourself and don't give up on the people around you. Be wary. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of things want to kill you in nature. You know, there's <laughs> nature is, is quite harsh. It's cutthroat, but that's why we have humanity also in human nature is that we can help other people. We can help ourselves. But, you know, free will, free will in the ego. Indeed. Indeed, the ego, the ego. I think life is about conquering that, isn't it? Or learning to have a, an equilibrium with that ego. What you were talking about, about reacting, reacting to people when they've done, done you wrong or said something that you don't like or they've hurt you. It's that being able to step back and go, well, this person's actually got a story behind them and they've got their own issues going on and they've attacked me because they've got their own stuff. So I'm going to not react to that. Yeah, don't take it personal. Yeah. The, the whole thing, like a lot of people say death of the ego, and to me that's an incorrect statement because we need the ego. Anyone that is going to tell me they don't need their ego or they're trying to kill their ego – the first thing I ask them is, do you look left and right when you cross the street? Because that's survival and that's what ego is about. It's just the soul is so benevolent, it will never tell the ego that it's the ego is just the servant. 
you know, the ego has to find out its own way. So like, you know, Ross used to say to me, for, for our job, the job as a shaman, we need to be the, people talk about the path of least resistance. You have to become the path of least resistance. As a shaman, as an exorcist, I have to become the path of most resistance because these things are going to eat me. You know, they're going to want to try and get in my head. So I, I need to have my ego to identify and, first of all, know who I am and if anything's trying to sort of fuck, fuck with me in that way, but also know that I'm there to do a job better than they're doing their job. Mm-hmm. So if a deem is trying to destroy you, then I just need to do my job better and shift it, you know, become a, a bouncer of sorts. <laughs> uh, and, and you need your ego. But my ego can still be humble. And to be honest, the work that I do, it humbles, you know, it's it's almost like a self-perpetual humbling thing every time because I know I'm just the intermediary between the client and spirit. You know, I'm, I'm that, that bridge in with a foot in both worlds. Um, but to give someone a quality of life back that they that may have lost or has slipped away, uh, that humbles the shit out of me to be able to do that yeah. because that's really what it's about. Now, we are on a, a planet of suffering, but if you know how to suffer, you don't suffer. There's no need to. No, we make it we make it hard as hard for ourselves. Yeah, as we make it. You know, so healing doesn't have to be about going through your pain. You need to maybe identify where the pain comes from, and if there was a source of trauma but you don't have to keep living that trauma just to be healed, which is what I want to say to people is have, have hope that you can get through. You can find things out. There's information that you can access. And at this point in time, our consciousness is a lot more ready to accept the invisible component of our body than it did 10 years ago. Even, you know, it's talking to people about how alone 10 years ago they looked at you like you had five heads <laughs> and how how come this thing is not accessible when now it is a lot more accessible because we're we're a lot more sensitive as as a race you know we're being turned up things are getting quicker is another way that they put it like the veils are thing or you know, things are getting quicker what well, was it the last week they said that the earth actually spun the fastest day that it's spun on record. Oh, really? I didn't hear that. Wow. You know, so, so physiologically or physically, if the Earth is spinning quicker, the sun's starting to wake up again. Uh, we're on we're on a timeline that's raising the frequencies. And the Schumann frequency apparently is going ballistic. Yeah, that Schumann resonance. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah Schumann resonance. Yeah, and and that's that's also indicative of the resonance of our own energy field. You know, so if Schumann's going up, by proxy, we're also going up. Mm-hmm. You know, people are more opening up to spirituality. People say, that, you know, people are waking up, becoming more conscious. These are the byproducts of the energy being raised. Yeah. And, you know, there's three basic books that you can get that were written by a NASA physicist and a, a lady that worked for NASA. Uh, her name is Barbara Ann Brennan. Uh, and she wrote three books like that are like ages old. 
one's called the hands of light which is your basic introduction to the body mechanics and the aura and healing and all that kind of stuff uh, then you have a book called light emerging which is a little bit more in depth and becomes like a workbook for healers so you can you know you can work on yourself and then the third book is called core star healing which is basically all the information that she left out of the first two books right you know so really good information um but again if you want to get into the healing game and all that kind of stuff you want to help people do yourself first you've got to work on yourself first one you get experience too if you can get a teacher it's not all just coming from books you're going to get the distilled knowledge from your teacher um, which is, again, why lineage is important. You get distilled knowledge of that. It's not just you're paying for workshops or whatever. But when you do work on yourself, you have your – the only way I can describe it is that you, you come up with your own mythology. You have your set of symbolism or how you work, you interact with spirit. It's a good thing to be able to help people, but if you're not trained – Helping people, like a little bit of knowledge can be dangerous. If you start playing around, you can take things off people that you can't see or identify and that starts to eat you, then then you're going to end up in, a, in not such a good place. You can't help people. Or, or at worst, you could start spreading an entity also by taking it from somebody and then working with other people and, and you start putting it in. You know, so they're... You need you need training. You really do need training, and and it doesn't happen in six months or three months. And that'll make me unpopular with a lot of people, you know, <laughs> because everybody wants to run just as they've learned to crawl. But you you forget that even when you're learning to walk, how many times do you fall over? You know, yeah. it's just not something that you know how to do properly. So, when you fall over in this kind of business. That's usually how you learn. You learn lessons because, again, it comes down to the practical. But, uh, yeah, another story. We'll do another episode for the exorcism and the ghosty stuff because there's a lot of, I say, funny stories. People others say wouldn't, but, you know, I'm a bit different like that. Oh, you've told me a few and I was absolutely enthralled and, and loving listening to them. So that's kind, that's kind of why I... Uh, you've whetted my whistle, and I want to. I want to hear more, <laughs> and I'm sure the listeners out there would want to hear it too. So, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll have yeah, another we'll have another chat. The faith topic for exorcism. First up, people say they come up and tell you like, "Oh, I don't believe in demons," and within 30 seconds, they're saying, "But I had this experience. What did you think?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I think it's I think it's quite funny in that respect. But and again, as as who I am, I guess, I would rather laugh at something and make a bad joke about it, mm-hmm. you know, have that, that dark, dry Australian humour than to let something worry me and get in my head. Yeah. Because once it's in your head, it can start doing a lot of damage to your self-esteem, to your, your own reactions to, to life. But, yeah, once it's in your head, it can be harder to get out of as well. Cool. So, Daryl, thank you so much for... Sharing all of that information, I, I'm so grateful to you and I, I'm sure there will be listeners, Yowie Central listeners out there who will 
take away a lot from from what you've just shared. I, I really appreciate it a lot. We've covered a lot of different things, so I just hope it makes sense to people because <laughs> it hasn't exactly been a go down the street, turn left, turn right, go down the other street across the park. <laughs> We've gone all over town. <laughs> That's totally fine. And that was the amazing shamanic healer, Daryl Guy. I'm not sure if Daryl is listening as he doesn't really like listening to his own voice, but Daryl, thank you so much for sharing your stories and your wisdom with me and with the Yowie Central listeners. I'm so grateful to you. I'd just like to express how deeply grateful I am to everyone who shared their stories and their knowledge and their wisdom with me this year on the show. And I'd also really like to express that deep gratitude to you, each and every one of you who's listening now and who's listened throughout the year. You've lifted me up when I most needed it and that has meant so much to me in in what's been probably one of the toughest years of my life. I'm sending you all a big, warm, fuzzy hug and I'm also sending you all the loving energy that I've got. I'm wishing you a beautiful, happy and content and joyful solstice and Christmas season and New Year. I have some remarkable witnesses and guests lined up for you next year, so please tune in next January. So remember, if you've seen a Yowie or you've experienced something strange and mysterious, I would love to talk to you and hear all about it, and the Yowie Central listeners are dying to hear about it as well. So get in touch with me via yowiecentral at gmail.com or via the Yowie Central Facebook group, or via Messenger, and you can even send me a message on Instagram and on Twitter. I don't always look at those, but I will get back to you eventually. So stay safe, and I'll catch you next year. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Good tidings we bring Out in the cold, out in the dark Something's lurking at the edge of the park People be warned, people beware There's a storm on the rise and it's covered in hair Hear him cry, hear him howl Looking for someone to disembowel Claws like a hook, eyes like coal Feet so big they're gonna crush your soul They call him Sasquatch Out in the night when nobody can see Under the darkness behind the tree Is he a monster? Is he a man? Is he a demon under Satan's command? Hear him cry, hear him howl Looking for someone to disembowel Claws like a hook, eyes like coal Feet so big they're gonna crush your soul
You might be rich, you pretty young thing. Better hide the glint of your diamond ring. Your fancy jacket won't be worth a dime when you're sucking the blood right out of your spine. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.